Hey, Cask Chasers, we'll start the show in just a moment. But first, a word from our sponsor. Haida, I'm going to say a word to you that I don't think I've said before. Oh. Umeshu. Oh. Yes. I do not know this word. So Umeshu is uh, a Japanese spirit. Mm -hmm. It's basically a a plum wine that's fortified either with whiskey or with brandy. I like what I'm hearing. Right? It's fresh. It's fruity. We import a brand called Matsui, and they have two umeshus. Okay. A whiskey one and a brandy one, both bottled at 14% alcohol. Wonderful by itself, wonderful on the rocks, but also really lovely with a little bit of that Damask Rose Herb Garden Gin. Oh. I've done a 50-50 with that, and it's glorious. So I'm going to put that on our summer cocktail list. You cool with that? Yeah, I'm cool with that. Yeah. Guess what? what? Chicken butt. No. Impex Beverages. Yes. Proud sponsor of Cast Chasers podcast. You know it. Hey, Cast Chasers. It's Katie. In today's episode, we are unraveling the mysteries of Japanese whiskey. We've got a couple of cool tastings coming up between rice whiskey, between a nice Nika coffee malt for you, and we'll dive a little bit into the history of what makes this special and worth watching in the future. So pour a dram and settle in. This is the Cast Chasers Podcast. How's it going? Me or, or Bobby? Aaron, you can go first. Okay, all right. We made eye contact first, so <laughs> I'll throw it to you. Well, I'm doing well. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, feeling good, feeling good. I'm digging us all being together and recording again. Um, the past couple times has been very happy for me instead of Bobby and I sort of uh, bumbling along on our own. Um, I thought you were going to say you're very happy that you were on your own and I was going to feel sad inside. No, no, the opposite. <laughs> quite the opposite. Because we'll, we'll just keep, keep talking and talking and talking and talking. I was going to let you right keep now. talking and talking and talking and talking. <laughs> I, was, I, I wanted you to explain to Katie how we talk too much. That's right. I see that's what right. I've been missing. Yeah. And to uh, dig into that further, I'll, I'll, I'll toss it over to Bobby here to tell about uh, I'm, how we talk. I'm also good. Is that our, I think that's our opening shtick is to... Is are we all good? Are yeah. we good? Yeah. Just check yeah. in. What? How dark one, does the show get if one of us isn't good? It's a well. It's cast chasers intervention. Yeah, we always thought it'd be about alcohol. Eh, it's just more content. <laughs> yeah, people like people <laughs> We're transparent. Like, people like drama too. They do. Yeah. They do. No, I am good. I have nothing. Have nothing negative about any. It's hot. It is. Yeah. Well, that that's kind of just how we record anymore is we find the hottest place that we can. Mm-hmm. I'll post a picture of us in studio on the Facebook and Instagram, and I, I'll, I'll see if we can get Cast Chasers mm-hmm. um, to post it up, too, on Instagram for you to see our cozy little studio. But you can't have fan. So, I, so I, I'm going to tell you guys about a trip I did that was really neat, by the way. Can you start it once upon a time? Once upon a time. So I got a tour in a secret location that I'm not going to bring up. But the water, the guys from the Water of Life, Brad Kenyon's studio, mm-hmm. I got a tour of their studio, and he does commercials and films and all that stuff in this thing. So we're in this giant room, recording studio, massive. And I was like, how much for cast chasers to record here? And he was like, $12,000 a day. So I laughed and we <laughs> moved on. Um, but we're in there, and I'm like, it's cool in here, but you can't, it's dead, so silent it was so silent in that room. It was eerie. Like, it like felt Like the type weird. of silence that has a texture to it. You, you know could, what I'm talking yeah, about? It, it weighed on you. Yeah. It haunted you. Yeah. It almost felt uncomfortable. It was so, like dead quiet. Like right? absence of life. But it was silence. cold. And I was like, how are you? He's like, it's the dead of summer. He's like, no, we have these crazy secret whatever AC, not secret, but right. AC system. And he pointed up in the ceiling and they're silent AC systems. What? Yeah, and it's blowing cold air out. But they something about the way the the makeup of the system is, it creates no noise. And I thought, hmm. I thought about my children and how to put that on that vice on them. Yeah. And then I moved on. Yeah. And but it was nuts. Right. Was super yeah, yeah. comfortable conditioning, but yeah. mentally it was a. I like I could be in there. So when we when we finally get around to building our Cast Chasers Studio, we need to. Uh, 
reach I'm, out to Brad. And no, I like out. I like the subtle background noises. Yeah, I think it makes us real There's and approachable. Character. So when we go to build the Cast Chasers studio, we will call Brad and say, "Hey, we're not using any of that." How's your HVAC skills? <laughs> Does it work? We're not interested. <laughs> we'll have Brad come and help us install yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Whatever it is. So It's all right. It's all right. I think we do a nice job of pulling through despite the elements around us. You know? Yeah. People are going to imagine we're in a We have a fourth host. We just, we're that good at editing. That's right. He's terrible. <laughs> he, just, he just talks and <laughs> talks. So we just talks. We don't even know why he's here. That's right. Sorry, yeah. Kyle. Yeah. Right. <laughs> just, Here's, just like, Kyle, either. you say something real quick. Anyway, so Kyle just spoke for like 15 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> See how good we are at editing Kyle out? Pretty good. It's pretty anyway, good. He's what the heck douche. are we talking about? Uh, I was about to ask Kyle that, actually. Kyle, <laughs> what are we no talking about? We're talking about... Good point, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> Rockin' and rollin'. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> We're talking about the great Japanese juice company today, guys. Yeah, yeah, Which, yeah. Japanese whiskey specifically. Yeah. Looking forward to this. I really thought we were actually talking about juice. I researched the way wrong stuff. You're like Mott's versus Welch's. I don't really know. It was a non-whiskey episode, Aaron. I, that's what I That's what I thought. I, yeah. I didn't realize you were saying Koji and not yeah. Goji. Yeah. That's a deep cut. Oh, my God. We just went there. <laughs> God help us in this episode. I don't even know what that meant. That's all right. We'll no. get there. We'll get there. Kyle, what does that mean? God, Kyle, great explanation, buddy. <laughs> wow. Anyway, so I'm really excited to talk about Japanese whiskey because Japanese whiskeys are some of my favorite whiskeys, mm -hmm. to be honest. And people are super sketched out about them because there's this mentality like they're just copying scotch because they kind of that's kind of where they get their start. You know, the training was kind of began with that scotch mentality. Um, APVs can kind of be low back in the day. You know, they weren't producing a consistent you know, beverage, and sometimes it wasn't what we think of as whiskey legally, right? There were right. some rules issues. But recently, I think they've come up with some new laws, which we'll get into later. Not laws, but rules, which yeah, yeah, we'll get yeah. into later. But I think they, I think you get some unique, very soft, subtle, fruity, elegant, I guess, yeah. whiskeys from Japan. And I, I love them. I think a lot of the reason that the Japanese whiskeys in general, as a category, get kind of a bad rap is sort of those loose definitions in Japan that exist for what it is. I mean, it, depending on what it is. And there's, there are really great Japanese whiskey companies making really great stuff. And then there's other companies that are literally importing scotch, bottling it in Japan and calling it Japanese whiskey. Mm -hmm. So it, you, it, is a, it is a category you have to be careful about. But the ones that are doing it right are doing it really, really well, I think. From the conversations you guys have had with other whiskey enthusiasts, do you get a feel if the average consumer, like specifically in the States, is just, you know, kind of ignorant to Japanese whiskey or, or has an impression like it's just kind of a, I don't know, I don't want to say a gimmick, but something that isn't as developed maybe as some of the other whiskeys they're used to drinking? So I've had conversations, whiskey, we... we fortunately and unfortunately surround ourselves with whiskey people so we don't get a lot of conversation i think with people that aren't but i have friends that aren't whiskey people mm -hmm. and things like that and i talk to you know or what kind of whiskey should i try what's really subtle and everything and i'll say something like french whiskey or japanese whiskey and the first thing i hear is i didn't even know they had whiskey yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. so it's, it's it's not this the the outside population isn't necessarily scared they don't even realize it's an option right. i think and then there's a group inside of the whiskey community that sees Japanese whiskey as kind of an offshoot and, you know, a secondary prize versus what it, I think it is. Luckily, there are some cool stuff coming out that people think of as, I guess, not higher end, but as obtainable. Something they should mm. something they should have. On, um, I think right now I'm sipping on, for example, the Nika uh, coffee malt. Um, I'm, I'm a bigger fan of the grain, but the coffee malt's amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, Nika from the barrel. People really like that. Very good. Yeah. Um, Yamazaki 12 year. I know mm -hmm. that's super sought after. We had the Miyagikyo, which was, how good was that? Stupid Holy good. crap. Stupid We good. had it at the dinner, the Miyagikyo. Yeah. We paired it with salmon, I think. Which was a great, great oh, choice. Oh my God. And it, was, it hits that, on like the florals that you were talking about, like the lighter right. aromatics you get in Japanese right. whiskey. And that was one of the pairings we were a little bit worried about also. Yeah. In, because in it had tasting. this, I don't want to say brininess, but it had this sweet salty thing going on that i was worried that it was going to kind of disappear or whatever mm. but it worked it, it worked it was, really, I, I think it, it was really probably well. the best pairing yeah 
Um, unfortunately, the Yamazaki 12 and the Miyagikyo are very difficult to find. Mm-hmm. So Japanese whiskey does have this other element of allocated, difficult to find. Pri- I'll tell a story later about one I found that was super sought after, and I ha- I basically got a kill on it because a great deal mm-hmm. because it was so hard. That was the Yamazaki 12 I found. And Ooh. I bought it for like 80 bucks. And this thing's going for like 120, 200. People would pay happily 120 bucks for it. Yeah. And I've seen it up to the threes, fours because it's so hard to find. And it really is a great whiskey um, from Japan. I've so. seen the same on Hibiki too, which was my introduction to Japanese mm-hmm. whiskey. I remember it was at this, uh, it was at this work dinner at um, a restaurant out in Napa. And we're going through like this, this, oh my gosh, it was like a seven course pairing of food and everything. Mm. It was, people were feeling fancy that day on company dollars. That didn't happen ever again. (laughs) Um, But no, the only thing that I really remember about that entire dinner was the Hibiki whiskey. And then coming back to Maryland and being like, where can I get this? And it just being impossible. I found one restaurant in Annapolis that has it. Hibiki is a great line. I think, what do you, what would you say are, if you think Japanese whiskey, what names come to mind? Um, I mean, Hibiki is probably your top, you your, can, your yeah, top, yeah. um, anything, you know, Suntory yeah. is, is going to be up there. Um, Nika, which we have on the yeah. table. Um, Yamakaze, we were talking about Yamakaze. Yeah, a little ago. harder to find, but yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, as far as like the ones that immediately spring to people's minds. I'm talking, yeah, you go to Total Wine, you go to your local yeah. liquor store, wherever that may be, you're going to find, you're going to find the the generic, um, you know, Hibiki, the yeah, square yeah, bottle, yeah. and it's a it's an inexpensive way to experience Japanese mm-hmm. whiskey. Yeah. Well, one one thing I like about, and I'm I'm actually drinking something different than you are. I'm drinking the uh, Fukano single cask, which is a, where's that come from? <laughs> that's imported <laughs> by Impex Beverages. Impex Beverages. Um, who you, Joshua says it way better. Than he does. We do, he but, does. Yeah. Um, which you you would have heard something from Impacts at the beginning of this episode, but they've started importing a lot of Japanese stuff, not just whiskey, but gin and all that. So, and we'll get into why this as a rice whiskey is a bit of an. I've seen a lot of places call it an outlier, or even mm-hmm. like a black sheep sort of. Um, but I mean, uh, specifically to talk about there, there are importers that are doing a great job of bringing in really good stuff that's not necessarily your hibiki your suntory and all of that um and if you go on impex's uh website you'll see a good handful of stuff i know fukano uh impex is doing matsui um a couple others uh kuriyoshi i think is also impex our show notes are going to be great for this episode, yeah, by the way. Right. I'm right. only so half joking. <laughs> yeah. No, seriously, because I think, you know, when I was looking up different whiskey options and just researching Japanese whiskey in general before we sat down to record, I was taking more notes than usual. And mm. I'm a note taker, you know, just yeah. to understand the names of the whiskey related to the distilleries, related to the people that founded it. Yeah. Which is one thing I think is really cool about Japanese whiskey that I know we're going to get into. We keep saying we're going to get into it. Let's just dive in. Let's, let's get into it. <laughs> Can I, so, yeah. so I lived in Japan for a couple of years. Thank you for your service. Thank me for my service in the military. <laughs> and I actually believe that was early. Not, that was early. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I fell in love with Japanese beers. Um, okay. And you can buy Japanese beers um, and vending machines on like the side of the road, which is um, when you're 19 in the military and you can walk by vending with 100 beer. yen <laughs> and throw it in and take out an Asahi or something, right? So I really got, I really enjoyed their beers. I wanted to like sake so bad because of the culture and I was there and, you know, you would go to these restaurants and it was part of the experience. I can't get behind it, which is why mm-hmm. I struggle actually with, because I had the same one you're having yeah, now. The Fukano, yeah. I'm not a fan. Mm-hmm. It's something about rice whiskeys, I think, that I haven't had one yet that I like. Mm-hmm. That just is what it is. So when I heard about Japanese whiskey, I was like super intrigued. So mm-hmm. I went out, didn't want to spend a lot of money. So I got something from the Mars company. Um, I don't remember which one it was. It was the, um, I'd have to look it up later. And I hated it. Oh. Yeah. And I was like, oh no. This was that a rice whiskey, the first one? It was not. Said? Nope. Nope. It was not. Um, I'm going to look it up and um, here in a minute. But it was, it wasn't bad. It just didn't do anything for me. Yeah. And luckily I didn't give up. Because I heard all the, you know, I was talking to people about whiskey and a lot of people I know are bourbon people. And they're like, no, Japanese whiskey's flat. You're not going to get anything th- from it. And then I jumped into your Nikas and stuff like that. And I thought, okay, okay, here we go. Well, and so Japanese whiskeys also, I do this with like all whiskeys, um, really great in a highball as well. 
So mm-hmm. one thing I like, it's been for the past two years, it's been my summer drink has been a highball, which is basically whiskey with club soda over ice. And one thing it does for basically any whiskey is you're going to taste things you've never tasted before. Mm-hmm. Part of that is, you know, a little bit of dilution of it uh, opens up a lot of stuff because you're, you're, you're doing more club soda than you're doing whiskey, right? Uh, part of it's that. Part of it is the bubbles actually do. They they make little notes that are a little bit tingly that you've never felt before. It's, it's really like more air kind of yeah, inserted yeah. in. And it's it's nice and light. Um, be careful with them because, I mean, you'll sit there and drink two, three, four of them and you'll be, you know, knocked out on the floor. <laughs> but um, that's a really good way to enjoy any whiskey. But, I mean, traditionally, specifically a Japanese whiskey. The one I had from Mars was um, the EY. Um, which is like a blue label um, bottle, and you, you've probably seen it. I've seen it a hundred times. It was their single malt, um, thirty-five bucks. I mean, it was also the price point. Yeah, I mean, I didn't yeah, go. Yeah. I, I didn't want to. I didn't judge. I didn't think, oh, I don't like this. I'm never going to go back to it. But it was my first experience, and sometimes you can get something pretty decent. I'm reading on the one I had, aged three to four years, three to five years, in a hundred percent ex bourbon barrels. So it was just a young whiskey that you know. I dove into first, mm-hmm. but just another mass product company you can see out there. So let's let's talk through one of these whiskeys a little bit at a time, because one thing I want to make sure, you know, for all of our listeners that are trying to follow along, we've mentioned rice whiskey, we've mentioned non-rice whiskey. So I think one of the cool things that we're seeing, especially as the regulations and standards about Japanese whiskey are evolving pretty recently, you know, it still plays to a variety of different grains that you can see within the portfolio of Japanese whiskeys, right? Right. Well... Aaron, I think you have, you want to go over like, let's, he's like, I don't know what you're talking, Kyle, you want to bring up any, no? Okay. Oh, Kyle just handed me the notes for it. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. We'll let Kyle read it real quick. Kyle, that was good, yeah, yeah, but that listen, was good, but... Um, but let's let Aaron read it because, you know. Such a low talker. Pronunciations were off. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, do uh, do kind of the, because I think that's going to kind of talk to the grain usage and the rules. And if you want to kind of, you were explaining to us the rules, quotation sure. marks I'm using here. You want to dig into that a little bit? Yeah, too? A little, just a help me because I'm, I'm be honest. I'm a little confused about the new process. Teach us, Aaron. Yeah, Teach us. I'll do my best. I'll, I'll do my best. Um, so, one of the things we talked about er, a little bit earlier on was that the rules have always been a little bit loosey goosey. You have stuff coming in that you don't know if it's actually produced in Japan. Maybe it's aged in Japan, and like everybody has sort of their own thing. So, super recently um, is early uh, April of this year, 2021, um, the Japan Spirits and Liquor Makers Association, um, which is, it's, uh, it's a, it's a private organization that you can join as a, as a whiskey, a whiskey maker, whiskey producer. But if you join, you have to follow these rules. So it, it's lending a little bit of credibility to the, uh, producers that are a part of this association. And basically what they're trying to do is they're trying to put definitions to what is a Japanese whiskey. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sort of like we have very stringent guidelines as to what scotch is, as to what bourbon is. They're trying to put this in place. I don't believe it's in a place yet where it is law. And there are going to be people that know more about this than me just doing research for the past few days. <laughs> um, actually, Chris Udy of Impex Beverages comes to mind. If anybody knows Chris, reach out to him and bother him that about it. That guy knows I, He's lived it. Yeah, I've I've had the we've had the privilege of being on some calls with him and everything, and what he knows is yeah. Ask, beat that guy's message box up. Yeah, with with yeah. Quite, he loves that actually. Don't don't don't. Here's tell his him cell phone number. Five <laughs> if you'd like his social security number, and here's his address. Um, all right, so to label a product as Japanese whiskey, uh, the follow they they have to meet the following requirements. Distillers must always use malted grains, but may include other cereal grains water used to make the whiskey must be extracted in japan sacrification which is great uh, job on that pronunciation thank you, thank you. sacrification that's um mashing bread farts is what it is yeah. <laughs> throw back to our last episode <laughs> i like that better yeah bread farts because that makes me lol right so <laughs> sacrification which is um turning the starches into sugars um but it, yeah it is the ma- the mashing uh but sacrification fermentation and distillation must take place at a japanese distillery so that all has to happen in japan mm. it has to be matured in wooden casks stored in japan for at least three years it doesn't and, specify the type of wood no okay 
and then the bottling also has to take place only in Japan, a minimum strength of 40 ABV, which is what we're used to seeing across the board as far as uh, whiskey goes. And again, all of this is from more of like a cultivation, curation standpoint. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. not law just right, yet. Right, exactly. That's cool to and know. then the last two sort of stipulations are plain caramel coloring may be used. We've talked about that in our episodes where we've talked about scotch. It doesn't say how much. It, did, it doesn't give any sort of... You can only use this much or even the super loose um, mm. Scottish uh, just so much as to not severely alter taste or whatever. And then whiskeys that don't meet the above requirements may not use the names of geographical locations in Japan, the Japanese flag, or the names of people that evoke the country in their labeling. But keep in mind, again, this is only for people that are a member of this association, which I, I think there's go- there's a level of prestige right. that's going to come along with this, especially for importers um, into into other countries. I think it's going to become a thing that uh, we don't want a whiskey that's not a part of this association. So I imagine that will ultimately grow into law. But I think it's good that they're they are putting these things in place so that at least some people know what they're getting. Yeah, and I'm sure like going back to our original conversation about um, people who may not be super into whiskey or who are just into whiskey but not aware of Japanese whiskey options. You know, this is really kind of putting it on a platform where it's easy to follow and reputable, right? Mm-hmm. So that's, I, I think that's going to be really interesting to track in the next couple of years because all of this boom around Japanese whiskey is in and of itself, what, not even well, 20 years old, So right? in, in a five-year span from 2015 to 2020, um, it I think it more than tripled just the, the Japanese whiskey industry. I think it was at around 15, I, I forget what the numbers were, around 16 million mm. per year is where it started. And now it's up to like 82 million oh per gosh. year, just Japanese whiskey, something like and, that. And they and there is an influence 60 something that they're giving to the, the U.S. too. Um, you talked about oak or you talked about wood. They're typically... You, like most people using American oak right. um, or, or European oak because it's just oak is just a better wood to use. There's actually a Japanese oak. Um, I saw that. Yeah, uh, Mizunura. The problem with Mizunura is you can't, from what I understand, you can't age in it a whole lot of time because it gives off a lot of super heavy flavors oh. that aren't necessarily good. But if you do it just right and you age for the right amount of time and you play with it, the right way mm. you can also get some very super unique flavors there are some Mar- american distilleries that i know of that are actually playing around with the uh, mizunura oak and of course there's japanese distilleries using it too just to get the second uh, this is a different mm-hmm. uh, profile so there's japanese oak being used in these barrels too which i think is really kind of cool i i just wanted to say real quick the it, i love it, you the, too oh okay Sweet. thanks kyle um in in those five years, I said I said it went from eighteen point four million dollars a year to sixty seven point four million dollars a year. Wow, I, which is almost a billion. Which is I think close to nine trillion. A gazillion. Easily. Yeah, Easily. I'm no math major, but um, obviously, it sounds like money. Sounds like a lot of money. <laughs> Okay, so there are rules that are starting to be defined. This yes. is really launching. Um, one thing in, you know, I, I know we were kind of chatting about this before we started the episode as far as, you know, how we want to feature the history of Japanese whiskey. One thing that I think is so cool about this topic is that when we talk about Irish whiskey or scotch or even American whiskey, you know, these are things that go back so many hundreds of years that all we have are kind of stories about the people that started it up. This is something that's happened in the last like 150, 200 years, Can right? Can we talk history? Yeah. Can we do that? Let's dive in. Yeah. So I, I, I'll let you, one of you kind of go into some of the big names, which I think is really neat, but, and I'm really going to make this kind of, you know, blanket statement. What I find, what I found most interesting about American whiskey was they didn't want to do that. Back in the day. I mean, they wanted to be there. They didn't want any European or Western influence. Mm-hmm. And it was to the point where gun, British gunships were outside of Japanese, you know, soil beaches, basically saying, you're going to trade with us, mm-hmm. you know, or we're going to have a problem. Because people in Japan, when these traders would, when these British tra- traders would come into Japan, loved the whiskey they brought. So the population really liked it. And Britain specifically saw a market there. And yet Japan wanted to do their own thing. Mm-hmm. They wanted to, they wanted sake. So they wanted their thing, their beers, their whatever to become you know, the staple. They didn't want to just mimic something someone else was doing. So they weren't about it. Their 
whiskey's so good, it <laughs> kind of it defeated that mentality. Yeah. And eventually Japan was like, okay, we got to get this stuff out. Because I think there were like Japanese generals and officials that were like, but it's really good. Have you guys had it? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and it kind of got no, to the point where whiskey's being made and, you know, created mostly at small breweries, Japanese breweries mm. versus whatever. Um, but then if, when you guys want to jump into the, or nerd out a little bit about the whole, the, the the father of whiskey, we'll start with him, or a Japanese whiskey, we'll start with him, I guess. Yeah. So there are two names that I kept coming across when we were looking this up. And I think the one you're talking about, Bobby, is Shinjiro Tori, who was really the founder of um, the Amikaze Distillery and Suntory Whiskey is most highly related to his impression. From some of the things I was learning about uh, Tori is that his family and, and himself, he was really interested in like Western wines and how, kind of to your point, how do we adapt all of these Western uh, spirits or, you know, distilled beverages into something that fits with the Japanese palate and kind of makes it our own. So I thought, you know, again, just to be able to reference one of a couple of single, you know, fathers of Japanese whiskey in this is pretty awesome to tie it back so quickly. The other person that I was learning about a lot was Masataka Takitsuro of the Yochi Distillery. And so Nika, which again, we've got on the table, that's Stop. something Bravo. that's tied into him. Can we take a second? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, st I'm staring blankly at Katie because I'm like, she's just saying God, these names. I'm like, not saying any of these. I'll be honest. We were scared of, you know, chopping block, butchering these things. <laughs> yeah. And our fearless leaner just says it. And now Katie just says it. And if she's wrong, it's all her fault. And you guys so. are here. That's There's true. There's no notes in front of her. Yeah. This is, right. She's just, I'm just I don't know why it. she's standing up giving a lecture. I yeah. memorized it like a song. So I was trying to sing yeah. it like an aria. <laughs> yeah. That's what uh, I was doing. Uh, yeah. That's the trick. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt you. I just had Very to give lyrical. you kudos. <laughs> Thanks, guys. So, yeah. And, and I think one of the things, if you guys want to jump in about some of the whiskeys you've tried of you know, those different flavors, it's exactly what we were just saying, right? You're trying to take in Western influence of beverages and try and understand, like, how do we match this to the Japanese palate, to the Japanese culture, which I think is a really cool thing to see reinforced now with some of the new regulations are coming out. Um, I like that these these new rules or this coalition came together because it's not like bourbon where there are legal definitions yet in Japan. It was a group of people that said, we want to have, first and foremost, we want to have a fingerprint on whiskey and we want to be respected in the whiskey world. So let's bring this group together and, mm -hmm. and do that. So, but there are already whiskey companies, I think, that were respectfully making whiskey. Well, and, and, and that's and a, pre. And I, yeah. I, think, I think that's exactly what I what I meant earlier is there there are brands that are already you know doing all of these things plenty of brands good brands well look know? at can we off of Japanese real quick Indian whiskeys there mm -hmm. are a lot there are a couple of Indian whiskey brands out there no regulation that I know of in India as a matter of fact I think India has the most bootlegged whiskeys in the world I think, in that, production. I think that's accurate but you have companies like Amrut which was one of my favorite uh -huh. distilleries altogether who are just saying no we want to play by the the national rules because we want to make a quality product mm -hmm. J Japan had companies doing that right already right. this is just a way for them to put a badge on it and to say look look consumer mm -hmm. you can you can expect you know, us only to get better with quality. Well, in these coalitions, these groups of people coming together, forming associations, that's how the laws get into place. It's happening right now in the United States. We're in with, the history of it. Yeah. 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 It's well, was it April? I think you said it was well, or, April yeah. for, for the, for the Japanese, but it's, it's circa <laughs> circa, circa 2021. <laughs> um, but it's happening right now in the United States for American single malts. Mm hmm. They are now, it, it started as a group of people, a group of distillers coming together, trying to decide how we are going to define American single malts. And so it's, ha it's happening all over the place. And that will, the idea is that will eventually go into law, national law, local law, mm -hmm. and all of that. So, I mean, that's how it gets started. And then, you know, once it's a law, it's a law. And that's a pretty quick turnaround, too, because I think um, from what I was reading earlier, Shinjiro Tori opened one of the first malt distilleries in like 1923. Mm. So for this to just kind of pop off in, you know, literally about a hundred years span yeah. on a global stage, mm -hmm. you know, it's fast and it's slow. Um, this, Go on. Them, <laughs> them, well, that's he, it. I what, think Kyle will explain it. 
Good point, Kyle. That was a lot, dude. <laughs> we only have so much. We're an hour in. Um, I think so. If I if I'm not mistaken, um, Takasuri. Yeah, sure. Better okay. than I I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Takatsuru. Takasuru. Yeah. All right. We should have Googled that. But anyway, we're going to use whatever one. Um, he actually went to Scotland. And I think I don't have any of this in my notes. I'm probably making this up, but I think I'm right. So, you're, yeah, yeah, you're right. I think he was a pharmacist or somewhere in the pharmaceutical company in, in, in the field. I, I'm pretty certain. Okay. Um, that sounds like a thing I've yeah, heard. Yeah. And I think I think him and his buddy, Tori, worked together. And mm-hmm. I, I want to say that's where it started. But anyway branching off of that he actually came to scott went to scotland and met a scottish wife so not only did Brittany bring the idea of scotch whiskey back he brought a scottish wife he was back committed so she could stand there and go that's not that's not right and go i knew i brought you for a reason because why else have a wife no 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 that's not what i mean that's not what i mean Edited. <laughs> for, no, I'm not. No, I stand by. For complaints, send an uh, email to podcast at castchase.org. But I think dot that's, com for complaints. I think, <laughs> yeah, dot com, dot org if you like us, dot com if you hate us. Um, I think that's cool that that he went, he understood where, you know, you want to go to the best school. If you want to be the best in that field, you go to the best school, you go to the best education educator. And I think he said, you know, Scotland is where it's at. I'm going to go there. I'm going to study. And he did. And he put all his efforts into it and came back and brought this lineage. And we're talking the 40s. So it took a, took a while because yeah. I don't even think Scotch. What's even more insane about that is whiskey in general wasn't mm-hmm. necessarily a, a consumer yeah. product yet. Yeah. It was just, you know, so he he respected it before the, this new movement, mm-hmm. you know, your 80s. Um, and then we've talked about it before. Um, the commercials started coming out with um, Bill Murray. Bill Murray. <laughs> it's Suntory yes. time. So Bill Murray, there's an 80s commercial with Bill Murray where he's pouring him. Yeah, it's Suntory time. And that kind of that. That's that's old, right? That's early '80s whiskey right. hasn't even come into its element yet amongst right. the consumers. So uh, Japanese whiskey isn't this new thing. It's just it's newer, I guess. But it's it's it started well, kind like of an early it, visionary. Go- recognizing yeah, and I mean it's going. It, luckily, it, I feel that it's going right along with the rest of the whiskey boom that we've been seeing. You know, yeah. as, as people yeah. get more into and and it's what it's it is one of those branches, if you will, that it takes people. You know maybe a year or two to get into and really start exploring. But I, I, I think it's, I think it's important and I think I'm really excited for where it's going. Yeah, me too. Going back to um, the story that you were sharing, Bobby, about Takatsuru and, and being like a bit of a scotchophile. I was also, he a pharmacist? Did anybody Google that up? No. Did I, I make that up? I thought he here. was family or from a family of like sake distillers. Whatever. He's branching out on his own. That's what we're taking away. Entrepreneur. <laughs> Tori was a pharmacist. So Tori oh, was a pharmacist. Tori was a pharmacist. Takatsuro was a chemist. Bam. But he grew up in a brewer family. So I took two different ideas and made it one person. So that's what I did. That's, that's, that's my life. I think uh, that was right. their vision for Japanese whiskey. So yeah, look at not that. Not bad for pulling something out of my out of thin air that I no, read that once good. in the that's past a hundred years ago. Hey Chasers, Aaron here. I wanted to talk about our sponsor, Wilderness Trail Distillery. If you want a great whiskey without the fake legends and made-up history, try some Wilderness Trail Fine Kentucky Bourbon. It's made by master distiller Shane Baker and fermentation expert Pat Heist, who you've heard on the podcast, at their distillery in Danville, Kentucky. They make a weeded bourbon, a high rye bourbon, and a Kentucky-grown rye whiskey. Wilderness Trail is offered in bottled in bond or cask strength. It's non-chill filtered, and the mash bill is on the side of every bottle, so you know what you're buying. This is real information. Not some magical recipe or who Shane's great-great-grandpa is. I'm telling you, keep an eye out for Wilderness Trail in your favorite store. If you happen to see a barrel pick or special release of Wilderness Trail on the shelf at your store, grab it. It's not going to last long. If you want more information, check them out online at wildernesstraildistillery.com. All right, so I'm going to try to sort of briefly talk about rice whiskey in Japanese whiskey specifically and why it is looked at as the outlier. So rice whiskey uses uh, something called koji, which is a, a mold in the sacrification process. So sacrification, that is the conversion of starches into sugars. So that's what you're doing before you actually start the fermentation process. It, it sort of kickstarts the fermentation, if that makes sense. 
So you have this sacrification process, which is usually brought on by malting. They're saying in some circles that rice whiskey can't be called Japanese whiskey because it has this addition of the koji to sort of help coax that along. But in in other whiskeys, um, I know certainly in American whiskeys, often they're using various enzymes to sort of coax that process along and help it along. And I also read somewhere that rice can be malted as well. So I guess that's I guess that's the I guess the reason that that's the outlier is because um, the dis it's the one of the rules is the distillers must always use malted grains but may also include other cereal grains. So maybe if the rice has been malted, it's okay, even if they are using this koji. So while I'm not 100% clear on sort of what separates what is allowed to be and what separates what is not allowed to be called a Japanese whiskey under these guidelines, those are that's sort of the, the gray area and, and where they're, I guess, having a little bit of trouble defining it. I do want us to get some tasting notes on the on the record pickles. though. Pickles. We'll talk. We'll talk. We'll let's, dish. Let's do this. Let's All talk right. about it right now. Bobby's going into it. Aaron's about to pour himself some. And which, some more. Some more. Some mores. And this is the which whiskey is this one? This is Fucano. Okay. Which is the rice whiskey that's Fu- on the table. Yes, Fucano rice whiskey. It is. This is a uh, single cask. I know when I was nosing it earlier, I was getting very similar notes of sake around this which makes sense pickles on the nose pickles on the nose. tell me you don't get pickles on the nose there now that now that you've said it i absolutely see where you're coming from yeah i was getting more like acetone another word for pickle (laughs) acetone is another word for pickle i think i read that i think in a book yeah um nail polish remover is what i was yeah, but like with some of the florally tones to it, not it's it's a little. I get what, more of that now. Yeah, I get what you're saying with pickles, because there's this little tingly, almost salty thing going on when you nose it. So I I kind of get that. I'm getting a little bit of. A, are you getting any fruit on the nose at all? I am. I smelled something floral. I was trying to place it. I'd say more floral than yeah. I would. I'm getting personally. I'm getting almost like a. Almost like a pear, but I'm not, I, I hate pears, so I don't know. So it has this chemical medicinal mm-hmm. thing going on. I don't dig. Sure. And then on the palate, it, there's these moments of notes that I do like. There's these moments of floral, honeysuckle, things like that. Then I'm like, oh, that's nice. That's mm-hmm. nice. But then there's this peroxide feeling going on. And, you know, you get oily mouth feel and things. I got a very almost carbonization interesting kind of thing happen right it's it it's a little it's a little thicker and a little more yeah stagnant than an oily yeah. mouthfeel i can see i can see it's like a funky cheese i can i understand the appeal. peroxide and funky well, cheese. no there's no flavor to it there's no, no i don't get no. any i'm saying there's people out there that love a funky cheese and i'm i like funky cheese right but that's an acquired taste and that's something that i can understand why people like this it's very inter- it's super interesting. Like do, it's it's a conversation piece. Do we know if this is like if it's more popular to feature rice whiskeys in a highball cocktail versus sipping it neat? This would be a gorgeous cocktail. This would be, cocktail. be fantastic in a high, I know this would oh be fantastic gosh, yeah. in a highball. I don't know. I uh, as far as traditionally I don't know, that's a good question. Yeah, uh, traditionally I don't know. Sounds like a follow up with a pro. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let's text Chris Udy. Can we can we talk about something else that I thought was very interesting? And I see this a mm-hmm. lot in the Japanese whiskey world, and applaud. I, I applaud them. The screw tops. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if that's where you're going to go. Yeah. So the screw top is actually the best method for to to keep it fresh and to seal it. Mm-hmm. The reason most companies don't is because it's not as sexy. Mm-hmm. As a cork, right? Right. Um, it, it it cheapens it, and specifically in American eyes, it cheapens it a little bit, which is nuts because, it, again, it's actually the best way to seal, seal right, it and right. keep it fresh the longest. I think they accept that, and I, I like that. There's So there's almost this – I'm going to say this, and maybe help me say it better. Um, there's almost a futuristic 
position they're taking, whether um, you remember how like Budweiser went to the aluminum can with the, it, they, yeah, they kind of took yeah. it to the yeah. next level. I think there's a ease of pouring, ease of, um, of storing and, and, you know, shelving the, this product. So they're thinking of that. They're, they're like thinking of the consumer. It. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I mean, it's, it, it, it is, it is a, a, a long-term solution. Right, because well. because corks corks remind me. I like corks. Corks are sexy. They're old school, but corks remind me of like old fish cans that had the key. You know, you you would put the key oh, in. Yeah, Very yeah, vintage yeah. kind of way to open it. When reality, the pop and pull thing makes more sense, See? right? But it's that old school thing we like about the cork, mm-hmm. the sound and all of that. Mm-hmm. But corks rot. Yeah, synthetic corks break. Yep. You know what I mean? They don't really seal that well. I no, mean, the synthetic no. ones do a little bit better job. Um, but the screw top makes more sense. But 100%. Unless you're talking like a cheaper way, like a Johnny Walker. You're not seeing a lot of screw tops mm-hmm. in the American, specifically American or European whiskey field. I wanted to jump in for one second and go back to the the tasting of the Fucano. Um, I went I went to Impex's homepage and they're talking about the Fucano single cask and they describe it as a waxy mouthfeel. Mm. You think that tracks? I get that. Yeah. But that brings me back to... What's the right word for some? So I know, there must be a word. I bet there there should be just mouthfeel and taste that are food, and then math mouthfeel and taste that are not food or organic, and both okay. of you know what I mean. Yeah. And I in my head when I'm drinking a whiskey, I separate those two. Yeah. So when well, I'm thinking through, I'm thinking okay, I get fruit, but sometimes I get that you know wood taste or whatever well, that's organic but you know what i'm trying You're to say metallic through, like, the tasting wheel or whatever of all those different things this has more of the non-edible flavors yeah more than, of the synthetic type exactly things versus, and i don't yeah. know that that's pleasing to me okay you yeah. know what i mean um but i get i like those elements spread out mm. you know the what I mean? way that my brain just like translated what you said is reminding me of the difference between when i have like a regular soda with, or, or some sodas that come go- out with like cane sugar I know you're gonna say, yep. versus like a diet soda that has that aspartame, kind of in the ballpark yeah. versus, yeah, it's yeah. The aspartame. That's, yeah. That's so spot on for yeah. me. That's what this has. It has that. And there's people that prefer yeah. Oh, right. yeah. that that flavor. I, I, it's, and there's it's a, a place for it in mixing it with other things are, too. There are whiskeys that I taste and I'm like, this isn't, I don't like this. I don't, I wouldn't recommend this. Mm-hmm. This is not that whiskey. No. I don't like this. I would recommend it. Right. You don't like it, but you definitely see the appeal. I see the appeal. I see, would recommend it. Yeah, I, I see the you. depth. I see the nuanced interest in it. I would recommend it to people to try it. I would yeah. be interested in throwing this into a highball and trying what that would taste like. Because well, I, 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 I got all this. No, I don't have anything. <laughs> we got all of the, the cocktails. The one other thing. <laughs> Katie would have been, speaking of old school, you know, there's all this digital. Katie's the studio booth person that, you know, we need horse sound. She's got two coconuts and she's clapping them together. Hell yeah. And she's like, I need a, a woman walking through a room. She's clapping on wood and stuff like that. Like that vintage <laughs> she's sound got, effect. You know, she's got the slapstick. She's got the shoes yeah. on sticks. I actually love listening to those like old radio program clips when you can hear like the over exaggerated sound of like footsteps in a detective story from those old radio shows. But I knew you meant shaker when you went. Thank you for seeing me, Bobby. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, we have a shaker, but no, we don't. We don't. <laughs> Our props suck in this studio. We need better props. We do. Yeah, we'll get yeah, on yeah. That. Um, the second whiskey we're drinking, one of my favorites. Um, Again, I wish I would. We killed my bottle of Nika um, coffee grain, yeah. which is a grain whiskey. And it's interesting. I've leaned t- towards Scottish grains more recently than I, you know, in the past. I prefer the Nika coffee grain versus the Nika coffee malt. Um, but the malt is still very good. And just quick for the listeners, when I say coffee, there is no coffee. Right, coffee it's, not, yeah. it's the still. It's somebody's last name. I think we did an, an episode Irishman's on still, yeah, where we have to go. You go back and do your research. We won't get into that for the sake of time, but the coffee still is a type of still that they use, and it produces specific kind of flavors. Produced by Mister Coffee, Mister Coffee, not the one you're thinking of. No, yeah. no, no. <laughs> Does not have an automatic drip. Um, so this one I do get the floral, the fruit, you know, very subtle notes of like honeysuckle and things like that. Beautiful nose on it. Um, it's a light whiskey. And it's one that I don't pair too often because I feel like it takes away 
a lot. Sure. I mean, it'll get lost yeah. in a pairing. Uh, I think it's only 43%. Yeah. Right? 45. 40. 45%. What was the... It um, doesn't drink. The, uh, the, it does not. Yeah. That one's like 40 41. 41, yeah. So, the Nika's super good, the coffee malt and coffee grain, but it's super mellow at the mm-hmm. same time. Not a strong finish. I would not say... Not bad. Because I, I had the, the coffee grain with you, I think... And I had not had the coffee malt yet. I, I just don't. I don't have a lot of Japanese whiskeys. Um, I think I I prefer the coffee malt to the coffee grain. Um, I don't know. It, to me, it's richer than the than the grain is. I I like grain whiskeys, um, but to me, this is just a little little richer. Um, not as much of a finish on this as I would expect from. That's what I meant. It's not as long. Yeah. It's it's not. I almost yeah. feel like the the rice one had a longer finish i felt that that lingered um between the two of these um i really couldn't pick a favorite personally but i between the coffee malt and the coffee grain i think i prefer the coffee malt but yeah it's really 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 deep nose on that i wish i had the grain to compare chocolate chocolate on the nose no it's it's katie's watching it's like really guys i know i'm like a dog at the dinner table right now yeah what trimester can you drink booze in I'm not a doctor, but uh, I don't fourth, think any the fourth of them trimester. Is yeah, Th- I'm just sucks. nosing it. No, it's fine. It, one thing well, I she will just say pull, tips it up right now. I'm like, Katie, we have to fight it out of her hand. Look, look, look. <laughs> There's another sound effect. Yeah. Um, no, one thing that I I think is interesting between the Fukano and the Nika because I'm really just nosing this. Um, Fukano, kind of keeping with what you guys were saying with the like non-organic taste sense um i actually got like a very pronounced honey like almost like crusted honey from when something like that's been like sitting too long in a bottle from the fucano and then with the nika i just get just juiciness Mm. and i'm trying to pinpoint what it is but yeah i i didn't get that on the fucano when we initially did it but i i I can like trying to remember with my taste but almost like a honeycomb you know yeah and i I was only smelling that like i just kind of took a sniff off the bottle which is you know not the best thing um, versus the Glencairn we're drinking out of. And it was very different. But with this Nika, I'm actually going to grab Bobby's glass because it's closest. I just... like the Fucano bottle better. The the bottle itself. It's it. I mean, it's from, from a bottle chaser point of view. Yeah, it's a much, it's a very much nice looking label. Prettier you got bottle. the Japanese writing down the side. Um, you have that on the Nika, but it's very small. I just I, it's it looks black like a label. parchment label on the Nika. Yeah. I actually think that's kind of cool. Like, and it's got a a seal here that looks very official. Uh, what does this say? Nika coffee malt whiskey. Nika coffee malt whiskey. But they've got a cool seal. It looks yeah, it looks stamped. old school. It looks very traditional. Maybe this finish is longer than I thought it was. I don't think it's as long as the as the Fucano. What do you guys get when you like swirl it around a little bit? I want, I want to talk about it. I got a whole glass full of the. Uh, Let's talk about it. What rice one? Oh, is that still the rice one? Yeah. Oh, that's so why I that's was getting what, confused. That's what you just... <laughs> <laughs> Take a step back. Would you like another I don't glass? Want I don't want it anymore. <laughs> I want it to go away. Then that's how you make it go. Okay. Aaron no, was Aaron's the bucket. Aaron's not driving. Jeez, Aaron. That's the way I get rid of stuff, too. I consume it. It's responsible. Yeah. Oh, sounds like a Star Wars character that digesting was, that something. That was not Katie's sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Okay, now I'm now I'm in. Now I'm in. Ooh, yeah, no, dude, creme brulee, like sugar, sweet. This is a this is light years better. So we're on it's, the Nika now. Yeah, we're yeah. definitively I'm on, on the Nika. Nika. Okay, that, it well, tastes that's like why it makes food. It smells like food. It's right. got. It's got it's yeah. got the chocolate on it. Yeah. It's got that that's what I was talking about when I said that. It reminds me of walking through like um like a school carnival where you have all those competing smells of like yes. the, huh. the the caramel corn or like the mm-hmm. kettle corn and then like the chocolate and caramel candied apples like just walking through that. That's light years better. But there's still something like a little appley about it like at the back end. Are you guys getting any of that? I do now. I do now. I get pear Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And almost like a cooked pear in a way. Have you ever had like solitaire pear? I, look, I very, it's not, I, I almost equate, from what I understand about Japanese whiskeys, from what I've had, and there's some cast drinks out there and stuff like that that are really deep and rich, but the ones I like are very light. 
you know, Speyside-esque in nature, you know, almost like French whiskey, if you ever had a French whiskey or whatever. Very light, very subtle. But then with Japanese whiskeys, there's these, throughout the whole thing, there's these little bombs of fruit flavor. Yeah. yeah. Almost like biting into like a crystal, like in a piece mm-hmm. of gum, you know, and you, you right. kind of crunch into the fruit crystal or whatever, and you get that burst of whatever. That's what it's like for me. That's why I really... As, as a category... And this is a, a terrible blanket statement, but as a category, I find Japanese whiskeys to be just much lighter yeah. than, mm-hmm. you know, your scotches, obviously your bourbons. Um, but I think you you put it well with just bursts, you know, yeah. bursts in there. Like there's there's this thing here. There's this thing there. The the Fukano, I think, is a little more mellow all the way through it. You know, it's very interesting. I'd love to try it in a highball. Um, I like anything in a highball, though. So yeah. you would. I, I would. And I do. So you like the rice whiskey. The, the Fukano specifically in this case. I like it. Yeah. Would you shoplift that? <laughs> you mean steal it? Would yeah, I steal I it? Change the verbiage. We're being more formal. Would I steal it? Because I would take the Nika. Yeah. I would rat somebody out if they try to steal the Fukano. I would be a tattletale. That's, okay. I don't like it. Because you want them to learn a lesson. Uh, they took. The, I saw Aaron put it in his pants and run out the door. I totally dropped it. I'd drop your name. I anti steal it. You'd anti. I'd That's steal it. I'd steal the Fukano. So I'd steal both. Steal so it. I like. I like. I, I like both of these for different reasons. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, they both seem to be very well made whiskeys. Regardless, it just yeah goes back to that preference. Yeah. I I think I'm gonna side on the Nika side though. I'm, yeah. I'm team Nika on this one for when I can get back yeah. at it. Yeah. Nothing against Impex. I love everything they do, and I do. I mean, it jokes aside, I do get the complexity. I, yeah. I understand. I understand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Different strokes for different folks. Yeah, man. Cool. And more stuff to keep an eye on. Yeah, so absolutely. That's exciting. We, should a, uh, we should get somebody on that can... Um, I feel like we mentioned a name once yeah. or twice. Yeah, we'll get... Was we'll it reach a, out. Yeah, Chris... Christopher. Chris... Chris Udy. Topher. Topher Udy. Chris Udy. He lives at Kyle? <laughs> and Perfect. that's his full address. Thanks, Kyle. <laughs> it's weird that you know that. All right. Well, I think that probably wraps it up for take one of Japanese whiskey that we've been exploring today. Um, I really enjoyed this episode because, again, we touched on so many different aspects of Japanese whiskey, and we really only scratched the surface of each of those. So this is definitely going to be something where we're going to be seeing more Japanese whiskey in Cast Chasers Tastings, episodes more to follow. And for all of you listeners out there, definitely grab your bot- yourself a bottle of something along these lines because uh, it's going to be a good experience regardless. Yeah. 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 Perfect. Yeah. That was good. Sayonara. All right, Chasers, that'll do it for this episode, but we'll see you again next week. In the meantime, make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Cask Chasers. You can also join our Facebook group. And don't forget to check out our website, caskchasers.org, for show notes, Cask Chaser swag, and more. And until next time, remember, it's not about finding the perfect dram. It's all in the chase. (laughs) 